Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sat, managing editor, Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com. This show brought to you by FightfulSelect.com. We have started to add some MMA content here and there. FightfulSelect.com is primarily a pro wrestling premium service where you can get extra podcasts, extra segments, columns, early access to stuff, all that across the board. We do have things like the Wikipedia fact check with Michael Chandler already up there on FightfulSelect.com. But uh, I'm starting to do UFC rankings breakdown videos there where I probably just go off and ridicule the entire ranking system, but it's a talking point, so there we go. And they use it to book these fights, so give it a go. Check out FightfulSelect.com. It is how we can bring you this show ad-read free. UFC Chile last night. I'm trying a new setup here with running a show at noon the following day. There wasn't a lot of demand for a UFC Chili post show at 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I like engagement from you guys. So I figured I would try out uh, noon the next day, and I'll probably try that with Wonder Boy and Teal next week as well. So be on the lookout for that. But of course, you can head over to FightfulMMA.com, get all your MMA news. And Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, we have the Holy Smokes MMA podcast. It is a good time. Check it out. So this UFC Chili show, we'll start at the top, work our way down. Kamaru Usman just dominated Damian Maya as best he could. And Damian Maya stayed in the fight. It wasn't anything that I saw out of Damian Maya, and I was like, oh, he's lost it, or oh, he's washed up, or shouldn't continue fighting. It's the first time he's ever lost three fights in a row. He is 40 years old. He'll be 41 this year. But I've also I've often likened him to a knuckleballer as where – like if he doesn't get hit a whole lot and he didn't get hit a whole lot here that he could probably continue doing this for four or five more years. I know that his fight got or his contract got extended by three more fights, I believe. And he has opened up about his possibility of retirement after this fight. I don't think that should happen. I think he should keep fighting as long as he's not getting hurt, not getting knocked out so far. He's only been knocked out one time in his entire career. And that was at UFC one Oh two. 
as far as Usman goes, by the way, I have my notes and analysis up on Fightful.com. I was really interested to check out how the grappling battles would go down between these two. Defensively, I thought that Usman did really well initially. Pretty quickly found himself put into an abdominal stretch. If this were pro wrestling, that would be called a boring 1990s rest hold. And it was on for over a minute into the fight, and I thought it was really exciting. (laughs) Because you didn't know if Maya would find a way to use his wizardry to turn that into something that finished the fight. The ref stops the action in that hold, which I found super weird. I found it weird anyway to do that when somebody has another person in an abdominal stretch, but especially when Maya started to throw punches from there. Usman really put himself out there with these power strike attempts, but usually when most people would do that against Damian Maya, they would end up on their back, on their side, on their chest, something like that. But Usman was able to shrug off every single uh, every single takedown attempt. I loved his use of the front headlock. He would shrug it off, grab the front headlock, the front face lock, whatever you may call it, pin down almost like like Matt Hughes did to Almeida that one time, although he didn't choke Maya out, but then would work around and work around and like a clock. It was really, really great. At 31 years old, it is Usman's time to put it all on the line. Tonight, he had to fight this way. He didn't have an option. It's Damian Maya. If you do the wrong things, you're going to get submitted with, by him. The same thing with Santiago Ponzinibbio, his original opponent, though. You do the wrong things, you're going to get knocked out. However, I think we were going to be in for a much more exciting fight uh, against Ponzinibbio. One, because Ponzinibbio has a lot of power, but he's not Damian Maya on the ground. So I had a feeling we were going to see a finish one way or another, whether it was on the feet or on the ground. Usman is 8-0 and in the UFC now. So after this, we had Tyron Woodley in, in the Fox studio, and he says, yeah, I think he should fight Masvidal. And I'm thinking, what? And I get it. Tyron's looking at the rankings and seeing that Masvidal's there above Usman, but he shouldn't be. There's no reason that Masvidal should be above Usman. Masvidal is four and four at welterweight. He's lost two straight fights. I, I don't get it. His his wins are Ross Pearson, really a lightweight. Jake Ellenberger bounced out of the UFC. Donald Cerrone at one of Donald Cerrone's worst parts of his career. Hmm. And uh, Ellenberger is supposed to fight this year. I can't believe they're going to let him fight again, but should be bounced from the UFC. Masvidal is not the right opponent for Kamaru Usman. Masvidal shouldn't be as high in the rankings as he is. Masvidal should not be at number six. Masvidal should probably be behind Teal. Maybe even Ponzinibbio. I think it should be above him. Uh, Magny should be above Masvidal. Masvidal is maybe a fringe top 10 guy, and that's not me crapping on his abilities or anything. I just, based on the resume at hand, he is about maybe the 10th ranked. Yeah, probably 10th ranked welterweight. I don't get it. There's a lot about these rankings I don't get. Hey, apparently Calvin Qatar just snuck into the, the featherweight rankings. That wasn't there the other day. Mackenzie Dern got put in these rankings uh, when she didn't anywhere near make weight. Just just really weird stuff, man. Uh, Junior Dos Santos popped in at 15 after not doing anything wrong 
and USADA popping him. So these rankings have a lot of work. Of course, head over to FightfulSelect.com. We'll talk more about that. But uh, the Teal Wonderboy winner is the right opponent for Kamaru Usman. It makes sense. Also, you have Colby Covington against RDA. The So that, that takes place in a couple of weeks. The winner of that fights Woodley. While the winner of that is fighting Woodley, you have Teal or Wonderboy against Usman. That determines the next contender. And Tyron Woodley can go somewhere else with the typical, I, I want my money fight thing. I want my money fight. Well, it's it doesn't always work out that way. The division's moving. The division's ready to go. Tatiana Suarez, she impressed me more than anybody on this entire show. She was also the biggest favorite. So she has <clears throat> world championship level wrestling, which you don't see a lot of in women's MMA. You want to see a correct head and arm throw? Watch Suarez or Ronda Rousey do it, and then almost no other woman in the UFC that's ever fought there. Very few other ones. How often have you seen a head and arm throw or a headlock takeover result in somebody, especially a woman, having their back taken or head scissors applied or that weird north-south 69 position. You're not seeing a lot of that out of Tatiana Suarez, man. She pretty quickly drags Grasso down, takes her back, taps her out. She has a special wrestling ability, especially for this division. It's going to be a skill set that helps buy her some time so we can, she can catch up in other areas. She is 3-0 in the UFC, 6-0 if you include tough. Not only that, her resume for a 6-0 fighter is unlike anybody else. Alexa Grasso, J.J. Aldrich, Kay Jackson, Vivian Pereira. That's between pro and tough fights, though. So that that she's a woman I'm looking for to really blast over the next few months. Right now, as of right now, I think she is probably the sixth or seventh best women's strawweight fighter in the world, and that's with a... Not uh, nowhere near a rounded out game. If I were the UFC, I would give her Waterson or Esparza. I think those are pretty good names. Of course, Kovalkovich is out there too, but I don't know if she's quite ready yet for Kovalkovich. I do think she's ready for Esparza or Waterson. Waterson's a big name. Esparza is a former champion. Esparza would be a good test of her wrestling to see. If Esparza can maybe shut down that MMA wrestling and force Suarez to go into a different aspect of her game, I would really like to see that as well. But Suarez, man, ooh boy, that that was she's a special kind of fighter in that division, and she's only twenty seven years old, so lots of time to grow. We haven't really seen that much of high level women's MMA to kind of judge, like like with heavyweight and light heavyweight. We know that they skew older, by and large. We know that middleweights skew older a little bit. And other than that, I think maybe welterweights. I'll have to check it out. We don't know what the prime age necessarily is for some of these divisions. But at 27, she's got plenty of room to grow. She impressed me as much as anybody on this entire show. I just thought that she did incredibly. Alexa Grosso, on the other hand... She has dropped two of three. She beat Randa Marcos by split decision last August, but she missed weight there too. So she has had a real tough go of it 
it's really ever since her debut. She debuted in 2016 against Heather Joe Clark. Before that, she was highly touted, 8-0 coming out of Invicta. Came off of a performance of the night and a fight of the night, and people were thinking something of her. She she turns 25 this year. Still lots of room to grow there. It's it's weird to think as long as it seems that she's been around because for four solid years, three or four solid years, she's been hyped. And now it seems like UFC put her in there and said, all right, you're going to sink or swim. The hype has to end. And that's a little weird for a 24-year-old, but eh, it happens. Another prospect was Dom Reyes. So the first thing I noticed against Jared Cannonier, former top 15 guy, the opposite stances between these two were causing a lot of power shots and a lot of body kicks. That leaves your body open for those. They go at it, and then Reyes manages a huge left counter uppercut that drops Cannonier. Then when Cannonier got up, Reyes uh, went after him with a teep and then another left uppercut. I'm talking like a Mortal Kombat, send him into the Spike Pit style stuff. Dom Reyes, like what what else can I break down? It was a little sloppy, but Cannoneer was being aggressive. And that's I think Cannoneer knew he had to be aggressive too. He's at the point of his career where he had to he had to make something happen. He lost to Blahovich. He's lost three or four now. It's it's rough. He's gonna be one of those fringe guys where if you want to be in the top 15, you gotta beat him. Because look at the guys who beat him. Teixeira, Blahovich, Dom Reyes, and Dom Reyes belongs in that top 15 as well. Reyes actually called out the number 15 fighter, Jordan Johnson, said that Jordan Johnson was talking shit about him when they were in Legacy. But this is one I want to see. I I wouldn't mind seeing Dom Reyes fight Tyson Pedro if you couldn't make that. Dom Reyes is is a very promising guy as well. That seems to be the theme of the co-main event and third from the top. But uh, 9-0, he's won three fights in the UFC, all by first-round finish uh, since last June. And even before that, like weeks before his debut in the UFC, he won another fight in 53 seconds. So all of his fights except for one, he's finished in the first round. He went to a decision at King of the Cage. But what what surprises – I don't want to say surprises me. What I look for the most is where will this light heavyweight division be in a year? Well, what I know is that in a year, Dom Reyes will be 29. Right now he's got three straight wins. And here, here's the landscape. Daniel Cormier, your champion, is fighting for the heavyweight title. What if he wins that? You have John Jones out on drug suspension. Okay. Alexander Gustafson fighting Rockhold. Gustafson could be effectively removed from title contention there. Glover Teixeira is not getting any younger. Ilor Latifi, man, I don't know what to make of him. He's got he's gotten his way up there, but he is very he's not well rounded. Uh, Jimmy Manawa, Mauricio Shogun Hua, both getting old. Ovent Saint Prue, he's a very raw fighter still. The, the fighters I'm really going to be looking at in this division: Rockhold, Gustafson, Ozdemir, probably OSP, Corey Anderson, and then you've got the Jordan Johnsons and the the Dom Reyes of the world, where we're really going to see how the division. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It will be for the next few years because the last seven years it has been a division ruled by nobody but Daniel Cormier and John Jones. That's it. I get the feeling that's going to change unless John Jones comes back and he fights at light heavyweight and he can stay out of trouble. And we don't know if that's true. We don't. And we don't know how sharp his game will be when he comes back. But Dom Reyes did the damn thing. Guido Canetti defeated the uh, essentially hometown boy, <clears throat> Diego Rivas. I thought that uh, Re- Rivas was the only Chilean on the show, which does beg the question about future dates there, but the crowd seemed pretty wild. They did, I think, 11,000. Uh, Rivas seemed like he hadn't been there before, even though he had. He really seemed like... How do I put this? He was like touching gloves a lot. And I'm just thinking, man, you fought here before. You fought in the UFC before. It's I hate to say like he was marking out because I don't I don't want I don't think it's an accurate term. It's a bit of a derogatory term, but it really seemed like he just felt grateful to be there instead of trying to fight. And he hasn't been fighting. He's been fighting in the UFC since 2014, but he's had a lot of crazy hurdles and gaps in his career and cancer, but. Really, man, we, Kennedy just grappled uh, Diego and controlled him, almost fell victim to a guillotine. Rivas's best chance to win this fight was in the last round with those knees up against the cage, and inexplicably, he took Guido down, wasted his shot at winning. Crowd wasn't happy, but I don't know how you could give that fight to Rivas. Andrea Lee, uh, this fight showed me that she was less green than Veronica Macedo. Lee landed some great knees. And as as I would see Macedo laying on the ground throughout this entire fight and Lee kicking at her, I'm thinking, why can't you stomp in MMA? You can axe kick. You can do a lot of things. Stomp to the body. I don't think stomping to the head should be legal. That's pretty vicious. It's a good way to get a cracked skull. But Macedo starts to get really aggressive. It pays off briefly, but Lee out grapples her. Lee had some really nasty ground-and-pound elbows. We saw some athletic grappling, but it was real low-level grappling. Really green stuff. Uh, Macedo needs a better camp. She had no urgency in round three, and she needed to finish. This is a nice debut for Andrea Lee, and she picked up $50,000. She's got a nice gimmick, the cowgirl thing. Vicente Luque, who we talked to on Fightful.com, 
Uh, he, this was, this was the example of a terrible fight with a, an OMG ending. Luque has won six of seven. Laprise has ended his three fight winning streak. All were finishes. Well, what can you say besides that knockout was really, really pretty. It was nice. Luque's going to get a step up now. And, and Laprise was a step up. Laprise has won three in a row. He's no slouch. Mikel Prezeris defeated uh, Zach Cummings via split decision. I was not in love with this fight. I thought that Prezeris fought very smart and did the things that he needed to do to uh, to win the fight. He really picked the best places and the best spots and then went full force whenever he decided to hop in. And him conserving his energy, him being Prezeris, is really the theme of how he's been been able to extend his career and make it successful. Cummings, I noticed, headbutted Brazeris a couple times while he was waiting in. That was that's an issue for me because that happened a couple times. And if I'm the ref, I stop and I say, "Hey, cut it out." Also, if you're about to be taken down and you hold onto the fence, that should be a point or the position. Period. We saw, I think it was Tito Ortiz against Rashad Evans held on the cage repeatedly and kept himself from getting taken down. He also had a point taken from him. Pantoja defeated Moreno. Moreno should not be ranked where he is in the division number seven. Alexandre, however, is deserving of being a top 15 fighter. Pantoja seemed like he wanted to prove a point here. He finished Moreno on tough just under two years ago but also just had his first UFC loss. He's really stepped up his counter game. Like Moreno would land a back fist, but Pantoja would go to town and return, land a couple strikes and a leg kick. Moreno just hasn't improved as a striker in the way that I think that he needs to, especially for where he put himself in the division with his his wins. Because if you remember, he was in the UFC before that season of tough was even over. He was a late replacement or a, last-minute replacement, rather, for an opponent. And he picked up a couple of big wins and immediately put himself like in the top 10 conversation. So for where he put himself, I don't think that his striking has evolved enough necessarily. And Pantoja really, really exposed that. Pollyanna Botello. I think that's how you pronounce it. We'll call her Pollyanna. Defeated Siri Kondo. So uh, Siri Kondo is a really versatile woman, at least as far as her career goes, in that she can pro wrestle, she can kick box, competes in MMA. I think she's 13-1 in pro wrestling, 6-0, 7-0 in MMA, and she has wrestled for a decade. However, she stopped kickboxing in 2015. She stopped pro wrestling last year when she came to the UFC, and she did win her UFC debut. This fight didn't do much for her. She got hit with the old pant shitter, as I call it, by Pollyanna. That liver kick and a crushing punch to the head. I had some absolute doof say, holding on to the cage is illegal. This is as the fight is being stopped. Pollyanna held on like, yeah, if it were any other situation, I would be a little upset. But Pollyanna was in no danger of anything like happening to her and no sense of reversal. That fight was over seconds before that. Pollyanna is also one that I'm watching for in the, the women's strawweight division. Dang him, Hughes says her match with Asuka in Japan was really good. Uh, that being Sherry Kondo, yeah. But Pollyanna is now 2-0 in the UFC. She beat Pearl Gonzalez uh, in October, and she's a former flyweight, so we could see her move up there. She fought Vivian Pereira. That's her only loss so far, and that was four years ago. 
So you have two young women right there. Well, Pollyanna's 29 now, but Vivian was like 20 at that point, which I think makes that win look even better. And Vivian Pereira, the only loss she has is Tatiana Suarez. Those are three names I look to help anchor that women's strawweight division in the year, years to come. That's, that's a good series of fighters to have emerging at strawweight. Pollyanna, Vivian Pereira, and Tatiana Suarez. The future looks bright for that division. Future looks bright for Gabriel Benitez. He's won three of his last four now, and I think he is 5-2 and two in the UFC. He's lost to Barzola and Andre Feely. He cracked Humberto Bandanay and almost got locked into an armbar. This all unfolded in about 40 seconds. Lifted up Humberto, slam, KO, finished him off. So the thing is that you can really slam yourself deeper into those arm bars if you if you don't if you're not careful really it was a risk versus reward KO because Bandanay could have had that on and if Benitez wouldn't have landed that slam the right way he would have been stuck in there even more so a lot of balls from Enrique Bar- Barzola mm-hmm. just it was an impressive impressive quick victory and uh, good for him Frankie Sines topples Henry Briones via unanimous decision. I think Briones was lucky to get this fight after losing three in a row and didn't do much better this time out. It's his fourth straight loss. He's probably gone from the UFC. Sines picks up his second win in a row after dropping three in a row. Both 37 years old. I thought Sines won on the feet, on the ground, and the clinch. Did everything better except for countering. It's kind of impressive that Sines has retained so much of his athleticism, even at this advanced age. And most people would think, man, he's 37. He's got all these cage miles on him. Not really. He hasn't been fighting for even a decade. He got And, and when he started, he started at – here's the funny thing. I look at it. He started around the same time in MMA that I did, and I was about 24, 25 at the time, and I felt like by the time that I could be a successful amateur or a pro – that I would have been too old. I would have been about 30 and it wouldn't have been not. I'm, I'm making more money doing what I'm doing now than I would have doing that. And he started at like 28, which isn't that old. It's not that old, but uh, he didn't get to the UFC until he was almost 34. I think he was about to turn 34 and here he is at 37. He's, he's getting in his, he's getting in his action. He fought three times in 2015. He fought once in 16, twice in 17 and once this year, but he's still getting it done, man. He's got that win over Yuri Alcantara that said a lot back then, but after three straight wins in the UFC, they, they threw him to the, the wolves with Uriah Faber and Wineland. And he had a close fight with Augusto Mendez, but I don't know, man, he's hanging around. Good, good for him. Good for signs. Claudia Pools just shocked Felipe Silva in round three with an E-bar. Silva almost connected with a big wheel kick, which I can appreciate. He couldn't lock on the triangle and almost gave up his neck in the scramble, which was red flag to me. And Pulas appropriately worked for submission throughout this entire fight, specifically the knee bar. He tried to transition it into a heel hook throughout the fight. He pulled guard, which I've seen more this year than the last few combined. It seems like it's making a little bit of a comeback. Claudio wasn't afraid to throw strikes, including an overhand and a head kick, but it was very UFC Undisputed 2009 in 
in how elementary it was at, at some points. Claudio looked really, really hurt, hurt, got walloped in uh, the ground and pound. Really, the ref could have stopped it there. He got hurt in round three, too, then just dies for a knee bar and somehow gets it. That was incredible. That was a necessity. He had to do that. Man, that's that's balls. That's that's what a Veronica Macedo needed to do or needed to try against Andrea Lee when she was down for the count. When things weren't working out for her. And that Pulse got a a fight of the or a performance bonus for that as well. So clearly it worked out for him. I mean, it paid off in dividends for him. So that's what happens when you take a risk, you're down, you make the effort, and you try. Sometimes you'll pull an e-bar out of your ass, and you'll win a UFC fight. Some of the news and notes out of this show. Let's see here. The fight night bonuses went to Andrea Lee, went to Pulse, as I mentioned, Macedo, I believe Barzola. I really, really thought that Suarez should have got one, but, you know, I understand. Like, it wasn't, you see rear naked jokes all the time, so nothing wrong with that. The attendance was 11,082. We also had the highlights of Vicente Luque knocking out Chad Laprise. Oh, Gabriel Benitez got the performance of the night, not Barzola. Kamara Usman said that he injured his hand early in the fight with Maya and once either Tyron Woodley or the winner of Teal and Wonderboy. We have the highlights of the Gabriel Benitez slam as well. UFC exec David Shaw said he wouldn't commit on the future of tough Latin America seasons, but said the company was invested in or committed to investing in contender series. It seems like the right way to go. Even if guys don't get signed, they get real exposure. They'll be on ESPN Plus and the fights will count towards their record. Remember, guys, we will have a rankings update breakdown. FightfulSelect.com, the $5 tier. Starting to add some MMA stuff over there. I will have you all taken care of. Check it out, FightfulSelect.com. Good premium service, good premium content over at Fightful.com. Of course, you can check out all your Fightful news, all your MMA news at FightfulMMA.com. You can head over there right now, FightfulMMA.com. Click that exclusive tab. And there you go. Bam. We had interviews with Vicente Luque, with Jared Cannonier from this show, Brandon Davis from this show. We have pros picks for this show. Andrea Lee talked to her as well. Just all over the place, man. We have an interview up with, with Kevin Lee that dropped uh, this week. We have pros picks for next week's Teal versus Wonder Boy up on our YouTube at youtube.com slash Fightful. If you all don't mind, leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe. Get the word out. Tweet our little link. It really helps. Thank you guys so much for spending some of your afternoon with me. We are out.